If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to continue in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Luke today. Uh, I'm going to read the passage uh, beginning in verse 22 right away. We're going to jump right in this morning. Lots to cover. I want to get you out in time this morning so that you can enjoy the drizzle, okay? Is that, is that a good idea? All right. Yeah, that's our pattern here at the Rock Church. We go through books of the Bible. We've been in the Gospel of Luke for some time now. And it's been amazing what we're seeing. And this is the conclusion here this morning, uh, essentially, of Jesus' sermon on the Mount version from the Gospel of Luke. So read with me, beginning in chapter 12, verse 22. Luke records these words. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious for your life what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his or her span of life? If then you are not able to do As small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this word. Lord Jesus, (laughs) thank you for this loving instruction that you've been giving to your disciples. These men and women who who will go, and many of them will die for you and for the word and for the kingdom. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word that you gave to Luke, for the eyewitnesses whom he spoke to, the inspiration that you gave to him to record this event, especially at this time in Jesus' ministry. And so we just pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. You'd speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, there are some challenging words here, very challenging words. I pray that we would just not run past them, but we'd hear them as from the lips of Christ himself. I pray these things in his worthy name. Amen. Your sermon title for today is The Worry-Free Life. Anybody ready to sign up? (laughs) Hope to show you three things today. The cause of anxiety and worry. Two, the helpful part, six ways to a worry-free life. Did I change that? I did good. I had seven, but I concised one. And thirdly, the goal of life. 
Amen? Let me put the first two verses back up on screen for you. We'll look at number one, the cause of anxiety. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more, more than clothing. So previously in Luke, uh, we learned about a man who had interrupted Jesus, right? Because he, he wanted his brother to share the inheritance with him, this issue of a family inheritance. Jesus, we saw in the last two weeks, he used that opportunity, he actually used that man, to be an example and to not only his disciples in that day, and hopefully to that man, but also to all of us, an example of covetousness, of, of greed, that's kind of insidious that we can all fall into the desire for more than enough. In other words, a lack of contentment with what God provides for you, what is basic, what you actually need to survive. So we know that this is an extension of this teaching. It's actually an illustration of everything we've learned about that parable of the rich fool, right? It's an extension of that because we see the word here, therefore. So Jesus is saying, and, and look at how he comes back to his disciples, right? It's, it's a huddle up time again to his disciples, not to the crowd. Therefore, let, let me speak to you clearly about this. Let me explain what we've just been through for your sake. And that's why we see the therefore of that. And we, so we also some, saw something similar at the beginning of the chapter. They then saw how the religious leaders were actually plotting to kill Jesus. Remember that dinner Jesus went to in the Pharisee's home when he was the awkward dinner guest? And he like, woe to you, woe to you. He calls them out, right? He calls them out for being hypocrites. And so the disciples saw quite clearly that these guys were like plotting to kill Jesus. And literally they're going, well, if we're associated with him and if they're going to kill him, maybe they're going to come for us. Yeah, potentially. And at that point in time, Jesus said to them, remember that? Do not fear. Those who can kill the body, and then that's it. And so he talked about not fearing. So here they just heard Jesus tell this man that his problem is, listen, that he's greedy, right? For more than enough. He's only thinking of himself, not about the poor, not about the needy, not for his fellow farmers who didn't have quite the, the, the bumper crop that he had, and certainly not about God about giving any of his abundance to God. He's just rich towards himself. So the thing is, the disciples may be some of, maybe hearing something that maybe some of us are hearing as well, right? Some of them might be sitting there going, okay, wait a second. <laughs> um, it sounds like Jesus is saying that for us to be rich towards God, we must therefore live a life of poverty. We must sell everything. We, must, we, we can't store up anything for the future. We need to give it all away. They, they might be hearing that, right? Did any of you hear that over the last couple of weeks? You know, maybe just potentially? Because it kind of sounds that way to a certain extent. We must give it all away to help the poor, the church, but not for ourselves. Well, if that's the case, then how they might be asking themselves, how are we going to survive? I mean, how are we going to make it through life? I mean, you're asking the same question. I'm asking the same question. How is that going to happen? How are we going to survive? It's a good question. Now listen, I think we need to also give ourselves a bit of a reality check because here's the deal. If, if you think that you and I live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, right. in, in a world that you know, lives by the Darwinian evolution thinking of you know, survival of the fittest, which we do, trust me when I say this, you have no idea 
what their life, we have very little idea of what their life was really like. Now, I know some of you are planning to go camping. We are too over on the island in a couple of weeks. You know, when, when you do that, do you realize, you remember, like here's how it works, right? You get up in the morning and pretty much your whole day is about what? Making food. Right? Like, you gotta, get, you gotta get started, right? Well, coffee first, right? I can't make food until I have a couple of cups of coffee. But in that day and age, listen, in that day and age, I mean, their whole lives, every day, from the moment they woke very early, it was about getting food together, getting it on the table, getting it cleaned up. Not only food, but every aspect of their lives, including what they wore. They had to make everything. It was a, there, there was no Target. And I was talking to somebody last week, Target, where's Target? Canada, they didn't survive, sorry, but there's no place like that. So for them, these questions, listen, Jesus is preaching this, right? He's, and they're sitting there going, okay, wait a second. You know, this is front of mind for them. It's very relevant, right? It was to them, and it's frankly, I think, very relevant for us too. In, in fact, for them and possibly for many of us as well, eating good food, healthy and nutritious food to sustain our bodies is a big part of our lives, of our day, daily life. As it is for them to wear things, it is for us to wear stuff today. I mean, you know what the climate's like in Squamish, right? Especially on days like this. And so obviously what you have to do if you live in Squamish is you need to, you need to have a $500 Gore-Tex jacket, amen? Right, or a couple of them, right? And a particular brand, you know, you want their logo because otherwise, right? Like I said last week, you are rich. I am rich. We are rich. So some of us also might be thinking this. Well, listen, um, besides who's going to provide for me, I've got to be honest with you, I, I don't know if I, I, I want to depend on anybody else. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, think, I think I would like to be you know, self-sufficient. I mean, isn't that the goal of life, is to be self-sufficient? I was taught that. Yeah, get a job, get out of the house, son, we love you, go make money, provide for yourself. My job is done. No, he wasn't quite like that, right? Jesus' answer to that is basically this. I think in reverse from what he's teaching here is this. If, if that's what you want, if you want to be self-sufficient, if you don't want to depend on anybody else, including me, then listen, you need to get acquainted with your next and best friend forever, whose name is anxiety. That's a little bit what Jesus is saying in reverse, isn't he? He's saying, I mean, he's speaking into a culture and into a time then and today where people are anxious. Anybody doubting this right now? Anybody doubting that we're anxious? We're anxious. And that's why, really, as he said there, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So let's consider anxiety for a second. Just let's get our minds into thinking about what anxiety actually looked like and what this universal problem looks like that we all do suffer from. I think it's fair to say that uh, we come by it naturally. We're born into this world, right? And in the sense if that if we, if we look around at the universe, once we're actually aware of what life is really like and what it's about, we look around at the universe, right, and, and at the world around us, and despite all of its beauty, it, it, it can be frightening. It can be scary. Pets die. Family members die. There are catastrophes all over the world. There are earthquakes. There are floods. There are tsunamis. 
life can be extremely fearful. And many of us often live in fear of the unknown, the future, the apparent chaos in the cosmos. And right here on planet Earth every day, whether it is politically, economically, or spiritually, there's a lot of fear and anxiety. And so besides all the obvious causes of anxiety that we experience because of how hard life is, there are the hidden and underlying fears that we all have that sometimes come to the surface that we want to push down and we don't really want to deal with that are really the root behind our anxiety and our fear. And so it's no wonder that most of us are stressed out from time to time. Many of you will have, if you haven't already, experienced panic attacks, serious heart or other health issues, all directly related to anxiety, stress disorders, including many anxiety-related disorders such as OCD. Some people suggest that I have that because I'm always trying to you know, make sure the chairs are all properly lined up in here, right? It's an affliction, I understand, right? It is. But actually, it's called obsessive-compulsive disorder, but the real name, real name for it and all like disorders is obsessive-compulsive anxiety disorder. It's driven, the root of it, by anxiety. And therefore, it's also understandable, if you think about it, with all of that going on in our world, that many of us, for many of us, the only way that we know how to cope is alcohol, drugs, Medication, legit kind, and of course binges of all kinds, which include eating, can include sex, can include extreme sports, exercise, etc. So listen, when you think about it, and, and I have, and, and I, again, I, I love to read and I go into bookstores and I'm always looking at what's popular and what's going on. If you think about it, what's the prevailing answer that our culture, our world has to our problems of anxiety and stress? What would you say it is? The, the prevailing answer. Well, if you look in the bookstores, it's stress management. Have, have any of you signed up for that, right? Stress, bought a book, read an article, watched YouTube about stress management. So besides all of the ways just highlighted, the, the, the best, listen, our modern, enlightened, so knowledgeable, Wikipedia-oriented, rich world can offer is, listen, stress management, not a cure. Simply management of our stress. Thousands of books, thousands of books, videos, Courses, seminars, you name it, are all available and they're all geared towards management. Have any of you noticed that on your iPhone, every once in a while you get a little sponsored ad that comes up uh, advertising a calming app? You know, you can listen to, you know, spa music, you know, doo -doo -doo, and it's pretty, pretty popular. So listen, what we see happening though is this. Jesus comes along and tells us not just, listen, not just do not be anxious, but he also tells us this, doesn't he? Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you what? For your soul. Your soul. 
Jesus is actually in this teaching to his disciples, I want to stress to you today, he's saying, I, I'm not just giving you some other little you know, tidbit or tool that you can put on your belt for, to help you manage your stress. I want to show you a way to eliminate it. Anybody ready to sign up now? <laughs> it's getting better, isn't it? That's, that's essentially what I, I think he is saying. And so let me ask you this this morning. Do you know that is what he offers? Do you believe it? Do I? Do we, do we actually live as if we do? Oh, right. So the question is, are you living your life in that reality, in that yes certainty that Luke wants his good friend Theophilus to have about all the things that he's learned about Jesus in that truth? So friends, two things before we learn about how Jesus eliminates anxiety, I believe we need to look at. First, we must understand that from God's perspective, when we do not trust him, when we do not believe and trust him in his word, what Jesus says is that I can eliminate your stress and your anxiety. I can eliminate it. It's a result of sin. We, we are in sin when we do that. When you or I find ourselves so stressed, so worried, so fearful that we're nearing a panic attack or depression, it's because there is something that we are not believing, right? Ha not having certainty about related to two very important things. Who God is, what he has done, and what he has said. We're not believing it. I'm not believing it. It's a direct result of not believing something then about the gospel. Secondly, however, I want to suggest there is this. You know, again, I'm your pastor. I, I read this stuff every week. I've been through this passage so many times, right? And I'm reading, do not be anxious. And I'm going, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, Janice is going, what are you worrying about? Just confessing. Okay, it happens. So we, we hear, I hear, we hear the word of truth. We give nodding assent to it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so great. Do not be anxious. Okay, that's right. I'll, I'll do that. Or listen, take up your cross every day and follow me. Oh, yeah, there's that. Okay, I remember hearing about that, right? And, and deny yourself, check, got it. Or, or do listen, don't build bigger barns, right, for yourself and be greedy, but sell what you have and give, give it all away. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's that too, right? I don't know about you, but it, doesn't it sound like a lot of work and not a lot of gain? I saw an article a couple of weeks ago. Um, that I, I, I want to show an image to you on screen that some of you are going to already know this. It's called the J-curve. Has anybody ever seen this? It's Jake. I, I see sometimes people send me an email and they get on their signature just a J. And I go, oh, that's cute. It's Jesus. And, well, apparently it's, it's more than that. It, it's a good, good illustration. It's, it's called the J-curve. And, right, and, and I want to stress this to you because in order for us honestly to apply this teaching to our lives and literally walk out of here today on the first day of the rest of your life leading a worry-free life, we've got to get this. And so the idea is, is that the J in Jesus is an awesome picture of Jesus himself dying, right? humbling himself, going into the ground, into the earth, and then what happened? God lifted him up. To, to what he was before that as a man? No, to give him all authority over all things. He's king after that little bit, right? Now, it's interesting. In Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, we see this exact same teaching that we've read today. It's at a different time. 
all right? And, it, and it's right after Jesus does a little bit of a teaching on fasting. Hmm. Right, you know what fasting is, right? It's when you don't eat for a period of time, right? That's right. So my question for you is today, and don't raise your hands, uh, my question would be, how about this? Um, how many of you have fasted in the last year? Two years. Ever. <laughs> a few hands went up. That was good, right? You, you do realize that Jesus did it often, right? You do realize that it's a, it's a teaching that Christians are, are to, to do, right? That we should fast and that we should do these things, right? In fact, what, what you often will see is, I think for most of us, we have, we have a problem with it. I mean, we, we, we know that it's being taught. We know that it's a good suggestion. We know that, you know, it's a spiritual thing to do. There's a, there's a purpose behind it. But the problem for many of us is, let's be honest, we're talking about food here. We love food too much. We just, we just love it too much. We, we can't give it up even for a day. Oh, you know what we can do is we can give up surfing the internet. It's not fasting. Okay? Not in this sense. It would be a good idea to do that for Lent along with 10 other things, right? This is about food fasting that God is getting at. So what, what happens is in the church often, actually, it's about, you know, like, I think for most of us, it's like, well, what would be the point of that, really? Like, at the end of the day, what's in it for me if I'm going to fast, right? Like, because it sounds like it's hard. It is. It's hard. And so, I mean, I think even some preachers are going to sell it to you on the basis of, but it's good for you. You know, think of it a little bit like a cleansing, right? <laughs> or the beginning of getting your body all healthy again. There's truth in that, but that's not the purpose behind fasting. That's not what Jesus has in mind at all. It's this. Again, look at the J. What Jesus is saying and God is suggesting to us could happen if we were to fast is that for a little while, it's going to be painful. <laughs> for a little while, it's going to be a struggle. For a little while, we're going to be denying ourselves. We're going to be going without something that we want, actually more than we need, for two days or seven days, or in the case of Jesus, 40 days. What's the result? If your purpose in fasting is to honor God and to trust Him, to deny yourself, even for a day or two, to empty yourself of yourself, then what will you get? What do you think you will get? A healthier body? No, the reality is if we approach it correctly, you will get more of God. That's the purpose behind it. God wants us, and it's the same reason why God encourages us to give and to serve. It's, you know, a little bit of pain, you know, like that's why he uses that number 10%. I know it's Old Testament. No, it's actually con concurrent, but, you know, there's that little bit, but then what? God can take that and use that. We're going to get more. It's why when we show up on Sunday, what do we do? Is it, some, is it an obligation to be here? Are we giving up a little bit of time? Well, yes, true, but by the same token, we end up walking away, hopefully, with more of God through fellowship with one another, through singing praises, through communion, through his word. We get more of God. So that's what Jesus is getting at. He wants us to understand that when we are saved when we have trusted him as our Lord and Savior, that you and I are now children of God and, and a full member of his kingdom today and into the future. And when you enter his kingdom in this life, just like in the future, in eternity, God provides for everything. He's got us. 
Now, I think when we die and you go to heaven, people are like, well, of course, then, right? No, now, Christian, now, now. Every aspect of your life is fully taken care of. The cause then of anxiety? Unbelief. Lack of faith. Sin. So now let's look at point number two, six ways to a worry-free life. I think we're ready for this. Let's look at that. Number one, I need to come back to that screen. Good. Number one, here's the number one thing that we need or way that we need to apply in order to lead a worry-free life. Number one, we need to trust God first. And these are all, I've taken these all, by the way, from the text we look at here today. We've just seen this in verse 22 and the word therefore. It's actually pointing back to verse 21, which says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so the lesson Jesus wanted his disciples to learn from the parable of the rich fool was that he had a choice. He had a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. Every day, we can either choose God first we can either choose God first in all things or ourselves. So related to bigger barns, money and possessions and greed, trust God first. With your money, your possessions, and your life. One of the key reasons, by the way, that God uh, calls us to give of our money is, is, is yes, to feel, fuel the, the ministry of the church that Jesus is building uh, but obviously it's this, it's not because he needs our money, is it? <laughs> Does he really? It's not because he needs his money, our money. It's because, again, it's another object lesson in the J. It's another object, object lesson in, listen, can you trust me as your God that I can provide enough for you that you can live on the 90%? It's a lesson thing that he wants us to do. And, and it's a key step in overcoming worry, stress, and anxiety in our lives. Number one thing that most people, besides death, worry about in our world today is money. Having enough. Having enough. So Jesus says, trust God first for everything. What you eat, what you will wear, your job, your career, your family, your everything. And then he adds, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing, which leads to point number two. Trust God's plan for your life. Trust God's plan for your life. I mean, once you're a member of God's family, this earthly kingdom, and we, we know this is true. We, we know that he has done everything to save us, right? He provided the way. He provided his son. He sent the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart, to cut you to the heart, to begin the process of regeneration in your life to save you, to bless you. He's done all that. At this point in time, he's also saying, but by the way, I didn't save you. I didn't do all of that just so that you could go and live your life for yourself, for your own purposes. I have a new commission and mission and purpose for you. And Jesus tells us what it is. Go and make disciples who make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And start in Jerusalem, in Squamish, in your own backyard first of all, and then go and keep proclaiming. That's what I've saved you for and called you to, is that exact life. So he has this plan for our lives, this purpose for our lives. And it basically requires us again, of course, to trust him. 
And it's one of the ways that we learn to live without worry and become worry-free in our lives. So if we believe that God gave us, as I said, life to begin with, then did the work of redeeming us and that he has a specific purpose for our lives, then we should trust that he will provide everything we need to accomplish his will. He did that for his son. They did that, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for all of the disciples, and they've been doing that for centuries. Point number three is, you need to do this. We need to do this. Trust God to provide, not yourself. He goes on in verse 24, Jesus, and says this, Consider the ravens. They neither soar nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? I, I love the way Jesus teaches. <laughs> I, I would assume you do too, right? I mean, you can, I'm a teacher here today, but I'm not Jesus, right? Not even close, not even in the same way. He has this ability, God in the flesh, and he, he, he's, he's right there in the world that these people are living in. And you know what? There are probably, because there were thousands of them, there still are thousands of them in Israel, in that land, in the promised land, ravens, crows, they're everywhere, right? And he's probably, as he's teaching them, just going like right there, right? It, it's, it's so relevant to the world that he's pointing, look at them, look at those birds, they're everywhere. It's a beautiful, beautiful object lesson to prove his point. And so his point is twofold, and it's really quite beautiful. He says this, he goes, look, these birds clearly are very dependent on whom? On God. You're not feeding. Okay, maybe they're stealing your seeds from time to time, but you're really not feeding them. They're extremely dependent on one person, on God, for everything. They don't plant seeds. They don't till the ground. They, they certainly, <clears throat> rich fool, if you are still listening, don't have barns or storehouses. Okay, some chipmunks have big cheeks, but really, okay, these are birds. They're very fragile, and they're completely dependent on God. And so he asks this, if your heavenly Father provides so perfectly for them, shouldn't you and I trust him to do the same for us? You'll note also in these words that he says, more. You notice that? More than the birds? We'll get to that in point number five. Point number four is this. Trust God. We need to trust God as sovereign and good all the time to everyone. Verses 25 and 26 say this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life or an inch to his height? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So we touched on this briefly last week, but clearly this is one of the most significant reasons why we worry, why we're anxious, why we worry over things that obviously, clearly we have no control over. And that worry and anxiety is, if not going to kill us, is certainly zapping us of the life and the life out of us today, which is ultimately robbing us as Christians from the great purpose that Jesus Christ has for us in his church. And I said this last week, we know this is true. Your days are numbered. My days are numbered. The, the day that you and I stop 
breathing, our heart stops beating, is foreknown by God. It's already planned. Is that frightening? He's good. He is sovereign over that. And we need to trust Him completely for that. Jesus adds, why are you anxious about the rest? If, if you can trust that, if you can stop worrying about that, and you should, I have, your body's going to die, but you're not. You have me, you have the Holy Spirit. You are going to live life far more abundantly than even you are living today. So why are you anxious about the rest? It's interesting, isn't it? He says that adding a single hour is not something that we can do, but then he says it's a small thing. Isn't that interesting? Well, it's not a small thing for me. No, because it's pointing to God's sovereignty and His will and how good He is. It's a small thing for God if He wants to extend a life, to resurrect a life something that he and only he can do. Point number five would be this. We need to trust that God loves his children. It goes on in verses 27 and 28 to say this. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So now you remember number three and his similar words, how much more value are you to him over the birds? I know those of you who have studied science and love science, that this really flies in the face, doesn't it, uh, of uh, the naturalistic worldview that says we are just a higher form of what? Animals. Of apes, some people would suggest, right? No, we're, we're, we're not just the highest mammal on the food chain. No, God's Word tells us clearly that we are born in His image. We are the ones who can be and are, if we're in Christ, His children. We're all His children, but children in His kingdom, us. Jesus came for you and I. He's going to redeem and restore all of His creation, but He came for us. Again, He's saying, how much more does your God love you, and therefore will He provide for you the basics the food, the clothing. And finally, he concludes by making it an issue again of trust. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, me of little faith. Point number six then is this. Trust God as your father and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world. Seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. First time in this teaching since beginning of chapter 11 when he tells us to pray to our Father that Jesus uses the word Father again. And so basically, don't make, he's saying, don't make food, drink, clothing, material things your focus. That's the pattern of this world, especially everyone is seeking it. It's natural. It's natural, but here's what it's not. It's not supernatural. Right? It's a natural way of thinking, but it's not supernatural. You as children of God have a good, a better, and listen, a perfect patriarch. Our Redeemer God, our kinsman Redeemer who loves us. He's the Father that none of us ever had or can be. He knows that you need these simple and basic things, these important things. So instead of being like the world, we are to trust 
our Father. Dad's in the room, dad's watching. You know that your children trust you for that, right? You know that's why we go to work, is to provide and protect them and provide for them. And Scripture also teaches if we, (laughs) who are sinful, are able to love our children that way, how much more does our Heavenly Father love us and protect us? He goes on and says, instead of behaving that way, like our world does, struggling with anxiety, instead, he says this, seek his kingdom, and these things will be, listen, hear me, come on, it's not prosperity gospel here, this is food and clothing, this is what you need, it's enough of what you need, will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. Again, don't be afraid, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Weeks ago, I told you how much chapter 12 impacted my life 25 years ago when I was in the business world. I got to tell you, I mean, I I sought after becoming a wealthy man by the time I was 40. I was going to provide for my family. I was going to be wealthy. I was on my way to it. Burn, crash, stress, anxiety, all kinds of other things. Thankfully, the Lord protected me from. But I read this and and I'm like, this is what pleases God? You mean it doesn't please God that I be a good boy or be a good man or that I make money and I give to Union Gospel Mission and do all those things? Are you telling me that what pleases God is that what He gives to us pleases Him? Yeah. He gave us His only begotten Son. He's giving you and I His kingdom. Do do you have any idea? Do I have any idea? He's giving it to us. He says, stop fearing. It's your father's good pleasure to give his very, very best to his kids. Finally, Jesus concludes with this amazing call to action, and it's point number three in our message today, the goal of your life. Listen, this is the goal of your life. This is the goal of my life. So let's read it in that context. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Pretty simple. We're done. We'll pray, right? That's very challenging. I want to, as an illustration, conclude with this story that I want to tell you about. It's about a man's life who, um, and a story, it's a true story, and I believe it's a testament to the truth that we just learned here this morning. In the year 1990, he was the pastor of a church uh, in the United States. He'd been the pastor for 13 years after he and his wife had been part of the team that planted that church. He and his wife had been working with a local pregnancy center, and through that ministry there, they had decided that they were going to take on a young woman who was a teenager and had gotten pregnant and bring her into their home, and they were going to help her, and they did help her to place her child with an adoption agency, and in the process, she came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a good story. Then as a result of that, his heart was really burning inside of him, and he decided with a number of other people in his church that they would go peacefully, without yelling and screaming, yes, with some placards, and they would go and stand outside the doors of local abortion clinics in the community that they lived in and served in. 
He did that nine times within the one year. Seven times he was put in jail as a result of that. After the jail term, what happened next was quite devastating. Civil suits were brought against himself and against his church and against all the other people involved. Court cases took place. It was devastating. At first, it looked like they were going to get off with just a little slap on the wrist, but then they got in front of one judge after the clinics kept getting more lawyers and more lawyers. They get up in front of one judge. This judge is completely disgusted with them, and he instructs the jury to punish this man, this one man, harshly. Well, they did. They awarded the plaintiffs $8.2 million dollars. This pastor and his wife didn't have that money. And of course, they, at that point, they wanted to garnish his wages at the churches. He had to leave his position at the church. He willingly said to the church, I don't want to drag you into this. And he left the church so that they could not garnish his wages and go after the church. Up until that point in time, he'd already been an author. He'd written a number of books. And so he placed all of his books and his royalties from those books also to avoid having to pay any of that money to the clinics, which is, this was his point. I don't want to give money to that. He set up a not-for-profit ministry called Eternal Perspective Ministries. And they were to manage his books and the sale of his books. And he commissioned them to give all of the royalties, 100% of the royalties, to ministries that cared for women, particularly women who were out of wedlock, pregnant, single moms, women, and ministries that minister to families, like focus on the family and things like that. The court order held in place for 10 years. He had to work for minimum wage for 10 years because anything above minimum wage in that state, the United States, gets garnished. 10 years later, the court reapplied and reaffirmed the judgment for another 10 years. 22 years later, still living on minimum wage, he and his wife, still writing books, by the way. In 2012, his ministry recorded, get this, that they had given away to other ministries $8.2 million. The exact amount of money that the judgment was made against him. It was that same year that the judgment was taken off. Could not be renewed. And the Board of Eternal Perspective Ministries gave him a raise. (laughs) He had this to say about the experience. Some people have wondered if I realize what we could have done with over $8 million. My answer is always the same. Nothing that would have brought us nearly as much joy as we found in giving it away. He said, I firmly believe that they're not my book royalties anyway. They're God's. Nancy and I certainly don't need them, and it delights us to see God using them to touch lives all over the world. His name is Randy Alcorn. He's written 55 books to date. His most popular books, actually the one book I think is fantastic because it's about giving. (laughs) It's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Go figure. Um, I think it's the best book written, by the way, on the teaching in the New Testament about giving, about tithing. And his most popular bestseller is a book called Heaven. It's a great book. It's probably, according to most pastors and commentators, the best book written on this subject. So my question for you is this. Questions. Did God provide for them? 
Did God work things out for his purposes and for their good? Can you actually sell everything, give everything away, and still have a great life for God and for his purposes? Apparently. Friends, let me ask you this today in closing. Where is your treasure? Where is our treasure? Is it here? Or is it there? Let me encourage you today that let's all, from this day forward, aim our hearts there. Let's aim our hearts there. And then let's begin living this worry-free life today. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father.